global stocks are paused at record highs, and now the focus turns to a possible rate hike in New Zealand. All eyes are on China too for any signs of a follow-through from its post-New Year rally. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our deep dive interview, ANZ Pacific economist Kishti Sen says the economic outlook for the Pacific is improving, although a shift away from tourism as the key economic driver is needed for growth over the long run. The capacity to grow this sector over the next two years is limited because it's pretty much at capacity, especially during the peak seasons. But first in 5 and 5 with ANZ, the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 closed just on their highs over the weekend and the Aussie and Kiwi dollars will open this morning basically steady from their Friday levels with the Aussie at 65.64 US cents at 4am Sydney Melbourne time and the Kiwi a touch firmer at 61.98 US cents. The focus in this part of the world will be on the Reserve Bank of New Zealand this week where ANZ New Zealand Chief Economist Sharon Zollner has forecast a rate hike to 5.75%. Here's ANZ Group Chief Economist Richard Yetzinger. This week it's Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Reserve Bank of New Zealand. I think all eyes will be on uh, what happens on New Zealand interest rates this week because, of course, markets generally, you know, a few months ago, very excited about in inverted commas, imminent rate cuts in various places, the Fed particularly, that expectation's been wound back, but you can feel kind of the the cat on the hot tin roof hanging onto this idea that the Fed's next move is going to be an easing. And you've got the RBNZ where we think we'll actually go the other way. I think that's just going to be a really interesting dynamic. Number two, there is actually plenty of international attention on what both the RBNZ and the RBA are doing with the RBA saying as recently as this month it had considered a hike, although markets still expect the next Australian move to be a cut much later this year. But in New Zealand, markets see a 36% chance of a hike in New Zealand's official cash rate at 2pm New Zealand time on Wednesday. Here's Richard again. Small open economies often are ones to watch. It's not just New Zealand and also, as you point out, Australia, but you know, maybe the ECB, which is our view that they will ease before the Fed, but maybe even the Bank of England, you know, has a chance of easing before the Fed. So even if markets get the easings they expect, they might not get them in the way they expect. And that differential start to the easing cycle might have some particular implications for exchange rates. Number three, ANZ senior economist Adelaide Timbrell says house prices in Australia are expected to keep rising this year at a rate of about 5 to 6% and then rise again by 5% in 2025. This is a slowdown from 9.1% growth in 2023. Here's Adelaide. Market indicators have been cooling nationally. So listings are rising a little bit, vendor discounts are rising, medium time on the market, so how long homes are actually staying advertised is rising a little as well. And when we look at monthly price increases, they are slowing, particularly in places like Sydney and Melbourne. Now, on the other hand, auction clearance rates have really strengthened this year. So it's not that we think housing prices will fall or stagnate, but there are some signs that we're not going to have another boom year for housing prices. We'll have an extended deep dive into the Australian house price outlook with Adelaide tomorrow. Number four, in Australia this week, the focus is on January inflation figures. Here's Richard Yetzinger. The RBA's, I think, done a good job of managing expectations around the the monthly CPI because it is a volatile series. 
It only includes uh, parts of the CPI basket. And this month particularly, we expected to show a pickup from 34 to 3.6%. So I don't think it will do much to give markets confirmation one way or the other. Number five, markets will also be watching what's happening in China after there was something of a bounce back in stock prices after the Lunar New Year. Richard doesn't expect a big bang, but says keep an eye on the market this week. Expectations about the economy and what policy has done so far are still quite sombre. At some point, there's going to be a turn. And given the way China is conducting policy, the turn would probably look something like this. I don't think we'll ever get uh, kind of a large big bang stimulus, which really everyone leaps on and says, this is it. I think the sign of the turn will be the markets just start to do better, even while expectations are sombre. Um, <laughs> I don't actually think this is the one, but we should also be alert to the fact the turn will only be obvious with hindsight. Now, in our deep dive interview today, ANZ Pacific economist Kishti Sen has taken a closer look at the Pacific economies. Kishti begins by explaining what the Pacific Island nations and Timor-Leste went through as their borders were shut during the pandemic. During the pandemic-induced border shutdowns in 2020, as well as in 2021, all of the Pacific Island economies went through a severe economic downturn. We're talking about GDP falling by about 20%, and that's significant, that's huge. So the Pacific Island economies essentially suffered some of the worst economic recessions at the height of the pandemic in 2020 and 2021. But since borders opened in late 2021 in Fiji's case and through 2022 in in the other Pacific Island economies, the economic rebound was quite spectacular, actually. And that rebound was achieved by quickly filling the jobs that existed prior to the pandemic. Now, people returning to work uh, drove wages and salaries growth, and that in turn so consumer demand picked up quite sharply, actually, through the course of 2022 as well as in 2023. Now, so much so that uh, total expenditures in these economies returned to pre-COVID levels within a space of 14 to 18 months of border reopening. Now, that's quite a remarkable uh, result. So the question now really is, having gone back to pre-COVID levels of production, where do we go from here? So do the different Pacific nations have different outlooks? I think uh, the outlook is fairly similar across the Pacific island. Our view is we think the GDP growth will certainly soften as the key demand driver over the last two years, that is household spending, kind of runs out of steam, really. In terms of how these economies perform uh, over the next two to three years, The answer to that question really boils down to where new jobs uh, will be created. Now, we can't see too many more jobs created in the leisure economy. The tourism economy is at full employment right now or close to it. And there are no new emerging industries to take the baton from international tourism and drive GDP and employment growth forward. Now, you could always invest more in the tourism sector itself. You can build more inventory in the accommodation sector, but the cluster of projects that you really need to push the economy forward is unlikely to come through until later in the decade. And that's 
when we feel stronger growth will resume to the Pacific Island countries. And that view is consistent across the region, really. Is one of the issues a lack of infrastructure? I think the problem for that particular subject is a lack of funding. Now, the Pacific, as you rightly point out, is constantly on the lookout for solutions to energy transition and switching to a low-carbon emissions economy. Now, projects are there. Often funding is the problem, though. You know, development partners are there helping with technology, solutions, consultancy, and expertise. But the funding bit often falls in the lap of the governments. Uh, And governments, as we know, uh, they have competing priorities. And the Pacific Island uh, countries are not that big economies. So governments have limited resources. So they are constrained in how much capex they can do in this space. So do these Pacific nations now face their own current account and funding restraints? Well, I think uh, uh, nearly all of the governments actually borrowed quite heavily at the height of the pandemic because revenues basically collapsed overnight with no tourists coming, tax revenues uh, fell by a lot. Now, just to keep the government's budgeted expenditure going, the governments had to undertake a lot more borrowing uh, through the pandemic. Hishti Sen there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Monday, February the 26th. Catch you tomorrow with that closer look at Australian housing with Adelaide Timbrell. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.